This is Speaking of Writers on Capital Region Sunday. I'm Steve Richards. Few of us realize that much of our language in the workplace inhibits creative problem solving and escalates uncertainty and stress. In both high-pressure situations and everyday scenarios, in each meeting and email, we have the opportunity to empower or disempower our colleagues. In the book, Turn the Ship Around, former U.S. Navy Captain David Marquet told the incredible story of abandoning command and control leadership on his submarine and empowering his crew to turn the worst-performing submarine to the best performer in the fleet. Now Marquet gives business people the tools they need to achieve such transformational leadership in their organizations. His new book is Leadership is Language, The Hidden Power of What You Say and What You Don't. You'll learn how choosing your words can dramatically improve decision-making and execution on your team. During his years advising business leaders, Marquet noticed that even when we intend better, we default to the counterproductive language of leadership inherited from a time when workers worked with their hands and managers worked with their heads. David Marquet, a top graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy, commanded the nuclear-powered fast attack submarine USS Santa Fe from 1999 to 2001. Since retiring from the Navy, he, he has worked with businesses globally as a leadership consultant. He gives presentations around the world about that first uh, acclaimed book, Turn the Ship Around, a true story of turning followers into leaders. Happy to have David Marquet join me now here on Speaking of Writers. David, welcome to this program. Thanks, Steve, for having me on your show. Welcome, all listeners. So uh, what uh, gave you the idea to write this book, Leadership is Language? <laughs> well, I think all books start as self-help. <laughs> I, I had this great experience on the submarine where we tweaked the words a little bit, and uh, we had these amazing results. For example, uh, we just stopped using the word they to refer to anyone on the ship instead we, and it became the most... Uh, strongest team, network of team, feeling like a team that, that anyone had ever seen. And I kept feeling like my own language was, it was almost like there was an invisible hand programming me to wait to say things certain ways. So I would give a talk. Let's say the team had made a decision. I would and, and I'd sum it up and say, does that make sense? We good to go? And I realized that this is actually not a helpful question because it, the, the purpose is it really makes it it's about conformity and compliance. Does that make sense? Yeah, uh-huh. It makes it hard for someone to say, no, it doesn't make sense. So what I wanted to say was, how could I be wrong? What are we missing? If six months from now this was a disaster, uh, what would be the most likely reason? In other words, I wanted to make it easy for someone to say, uh, to bring up diverse and dissenting thinking. And so basically, I lowered the water level, and I and I think I found the pattern. And the pattern is we have a playbook inherited from the industrial age, and we have a certain structure of the way we talk. If we don't think about it, we don't change it. It sounds natural to say we got a can-do organization. It's unnatural to say, oh, we have a can-think organization. Really? That sounds weird. The natural words are industrial age words. We're chatting with David Marquet here on Speaking of Writers. His new book is Leadership is Language, The Hidden Power of What You Say and What You Don't. All right, so this playbook comprises six do-overs you mentioned from the industrial age. So let's let's talk about a few of these. Control the clock, don't obey the clock. The key thing from the industrial age was to obey the clock. That's why we have words like clockwork. We clock in, we clock out. That's why we pay the workers hourly and the thinkers salary. 
And when you're in a control-the-clock environment, a couple things. One, woe, is, woe be it to the person who's going to interrupt the production line. Woe be it to the person who raises their hand and say, hold on, I'm not sure we should launch the product because I think there might be a problem. And the second thing is, when we feel the pressure of the clock, our prefrontal cortices are disadvantaged. It's very hard to go do deep creative thinking when I've got the timer going and Jeopardy music playing. It's like, no, 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 you got to come up with something. Come up with something really good, you got 10 minutes, go. <laughs> and your job depends on it. We have to pause the clock and control it in order to release those creative abilities. Now, in the industrial age, I didn't need that, to do that because I never asked the, the doers what they thought. Every once in a while, I might say, hey, how can we make it better? But I didn't give them true decision-making authority. Now, the best teams let the doers be the deciders. And so this means we have to invoke a ritual at work where we're going to pause the clock and then go to thinking mode and then go back into doing mode. Another do-over from the industrial age is collaborate, don't coerce. So we were, I run a meeting, and i got executives sitting at these different tables, and I give them a problem like uh, how many countries in Africa – and you got 90 seconds. I, I, so I deliberately put them under a little time pressure so they get a sense of what it feels like when they're obeying the clock. Yeah. And I say, go. You gotta, and here's the trick. You've got to come up with one number per table. What happens? As soon as I say go, someone blurts out a number, like uh, 80. And then, then, then they argue about it. And, the, and they, each table ends up close to whatever that first number was. This is not collaboration. They might call it collaboration, but it's really coercion because the, the fact that we blurt out a number anchors the group and then the discussion has groupthink. Collaboration looks like this. Hey, before we contaminate you with groupthink, everyone write down what you think the answer is. And then we flip over our cards and we say, oh, okay, you got a 30, you got a 99. Let's hear from the outliers. All creativity, all innovation starts as an outlying opinion. The first person said, oh, you know, we, we can fly. Oh, the world is round. That, all, that always starts, it starts sounding weird. But then we investigate it. Now, some of those things just are, they are, they deserve to be outlying opinions and let's let them be that way. But you don't know that until after you've heard. If you run a meeting in a way that makes it hard for those people to speak up, you don't know what you're missing. And so we've got to rechange that. So what you want to do, what we call vote first, then discuss. Chatting with David Marquet here on Speaking of Writers, his new book is Leadership is Language, The Hidden Power of What You Say and What You Don't. Um, another do-over from the industrial age, improve, don't prove. We have two competing personas. One is the part of us that wants to feel good about what we've done, justify our salary, feel competent in the world. I call this the be good self. Now, the be good self is useful when I'm in the midst of a project where I'm doing something because I want to get to the end. And I say, oh, look, look what I accomplished. The be good self, however, is not very good at questioning whether I should be doing this project because the be good self is too, too inv invested in getting it done. What, what you also need is the, be, the get better self. The get better self says, well, how am I learning from this? How am I going to improve it? And so these two, these two personas are in conflict because the be good self, when you go to the be good self, you say, well, you know, there's a way to make it better. Or I ask you, hey, how could you have done that better? It, it, 
it challenges the be good self, and it feels icky. But if I get the be- get better self, it's like, oh yeah, 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 we can be better. The get better self is excited about that. Get better self is excited about feedback and data and self reflection. In the long run, you want the improved play because in the long because and, and this is more and more important now as things are moving faster and faster and changing faster because it's this ability to adapt and improve and, and tweak that's really going to keep us in business over the next hundred years. So we need to make it possible for people to summon forth the get better self, not to be good self. And David, what would you like readers to take away from this book, Leadership is Language? Think about the word you use. Are you just parroting things you've heard before? Are you just ending your sentence with blah, 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 right? Then you're not being thoughtful and mindful about the words you're using. And if it sounds natural, it means you're using industrial age words. All, All words that sound natural have come from the past. So some of the words you're going to use are going to initially sound tinny to your ear. Let's be a can-think organization. Let's have an all-minds meeting. They're going to sound weird. Hey, how could this be wrong? But by doing so, you'll be deliberately moving to a more useful way of speaking with your team, and that's going to change everything. David Marquet, the book is Leadership is Language, The Hidden Power of What You Say and What You Don't. Thank you so much for joining me. Cheers. And you can get more info, too. Uh, David has a website. It is intentbasedleadership.com, intentbasedleadership.com. Again, the book is Leadership is Language, and that is, speaking of writers in Capital Region Sunday, a production of Town Square Media Albany for this week. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again next week with another edition. I'm Steve Richards.